Welcome to the Leadership Looks Like podcast. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. Sponsored by Leadership Excursion Company and recorded from The Coop, located in Summerlin, Las Vegas. Join us as we explore personal stories of leaders who are making incredible impacts in their businesses, lives, and communities. Get ready to be inspired, see things from a new perspective, and learn new tools to help overcome challenges. This is what leadership looks like. Lisa Chastain fully admits that she's off the charts when it comes to being comfortable with the unknown. She brought her business from zero to six figures in 10 months and set a goal to write her first book in 90 days. It's apparent that Lisa is on a mission, not only personally, but to change the notion that money is a dirty word. Countless gems in this episode. Enjoy. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's it's funny because I start every podcast and I say, I'm so excited to see you, but it's true every time. It's great to see you. Yeah. You have had a whirlwind of a year. I have. And uh, let's let's dive in. Tell, oh. tell us about your year. Well, a year ago, so it's November, a year ago, I had literally had no business. I was working as a financial advisor in August, so a little over a year ago, and I was struggling. I was not clear on who I wanted to make a difference with, but I knew I loved helping people with money. So I was really in the bigger question of like, what am I really doing with my life? And I know that there's something bigger out there for me. A year ago, I had hired a mentor and got clarity on how I wanted to help people, but I was just in this, the very beginning stages of understanding how to how to generate leads, how to brand myself as this new person, which is basically, a, I call myself a millennial money expert. Um, but that didn't exist a year ago. And so in the last 12 months, I've branded myself. I've created a six-figure business. I'm making a huge impact with young women in the world, teaching them how to be responsible and make great choices with their money. I've transformed my life completely. And I really believe that that's a, it's a great message for anyone who says, it's too late or I can't start over. You absolutely can, and it can happen as fast as you you say so. Right. Now, you have a background in financial advising relationship um, advisor as well, right? Yeah. Doing, doing, uh, working with people. I mean, just helping them. And, um, you know, what, what wall did you hit? What made you really realize, you know, I need to, I need to figure this out. I need to hone this in. I'm not where I want to be. Um, I definitely need to do something. Where did you know where to start? I really believe personally that results are our feedback in life. I don't believe that we are our results per se, but that our results in life are telling us what's working and what's not working. And honestly, I just wasn't making any money. And so I kept hitting my head against the wall, trying to make money as a financial advisor, trying to bring in the right clients, do what my firm was telling me to do. But my results over and over again was I wasn't making money. I was actually in the hole. I was living off of my savings and I was in the hole $300 a month because of my overhead working at this high net worth firm. I loved being there. I loved learning, but push came to shove that I was down to my last literally $20,000 in my IRA. I was living off of my IRA and I was like, something has to change. I can't keep up at this pace. Um, and so it was my financial results that really caused me to take a deep, hard, long look at why this wasn't working. It was three years. I mean, I should have been successful by then and I just wasn't. So that for me was the hardest piece of feedback, but also the biggest wake up call. 
Yeah. And you left the firm. Is that what happened in your journey? I did. Okay. So uh, you're working for a firm as a financial advisor. You have uh, tons of competition. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't know how it is in other cities, but in Las Vegas, I it feels like I meet a lot of people who are financial advisors. You so, do. you know, setting yourself apart in that environment is challenging enough, right? It is. Now, what made you leave the firm? What what it ultimately came down to was that, you know, I left my, uh, so my first career was in higher education and I left there in 2011. And I left there strategically saying to myself, I will never work for anyone ever again. I just knew it. I knew I was not designed to be an employee, quote unquote, employee anymore. And so in my firm, I joined the firm originally believing that I would have the freedom as a financial advisor. Basically, they said I had my own business, that I could create what I wanted to create. But when I started making decisions in that direction, I was told over and over again, no, you need to work within the firm. You need to work within our framework. I had no idea how regulated the financial advising firm actually was. And I was really unhappy with all of the red tape the SEC, FINRA, those organizations love them. They keep us safe, but it just didn't work for me. So I realized I need to be my own. I need to be on my own. I need to to be able to call the shots. Uh, This is a leadership podcast, so I'm sure a lot of people resonate with that, where I was like, this has to be my call every single day. If I'm not risking, I'm not loving my life. And so I ultimately said, I got to go because I got to be on my own, really for no other reason. I loved the firm. Yeah, you just felt like um, your your hands were tied. I did. When it came to making your own decisions on your own. I did, and that's why I left higher education. I didn't like yeah. the bureaucracy of higher education. And so I get it, we're in America, there's a lot of that, but being a business owner has been the most freeing experience of my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, I mentioned a little while ago, you, the competition is high when you're working for a firm and you have um, a well-known name behind you, mm-hmm. and now you're breaking out on your own. Did you have any... Uh, fear in in doing so, or were you just ready to roll? I live in fear every day. Do you, <laughs> as a business owner, right? Where's my next? <laughs> yeah. Where's my next paycheck coming from? Quote unquote paycheck. No, I, I had a ton of fear, and what helped me know that it was going to be possible was that I hired the right mentor who was like, listen, you're going to have to wake up and do this on your own, but I've got your back. And if you model what I do, you will be successful. So I I didn't jump out on my own. I found the right support Mm -hmm. and that helped me stay in action, even though I was fearful. I was afraid every single day you could ask the women that I was working around in my mentorship. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so hard, but I just took action anyway. Yeah. How did you find that mentor? Online. Yeah. Yeah. Was I found her on Facebook. Like, was it a Facebook ad that mm-hmm. was served to you and, and you clicked on it? And, uh, yep. and then how did that work? Did you reach out to them? What happened? I had seen her over and over and she was speaking specifically to financial advisors. So I was still in my head, a financial advisor at the time. And she had, you know, videos. I started following her, started reading her emails that were coming to me. And I eventually went to her website and, and read who she works with. So she works with female, female financial advisors. So I was still a female financial advisor who was struggling to make money in the industry in a male dominated industry nonetheless. So I was like, okay, well, that's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Super struggling right now. And then I read that she only works with women who make a certain amount of money. So she wants to work with women who are kind of successful financially so they can hire her. And when I read that, I said, there's no way she's going to let me hire her because I'm not making that kind of money. Yeah. Cause you're living off your savings. I was. <laughs> struggling. Yeah. So I was like, well, there's no way, but let me just schedule a call. So take a risk and see what she has to say. 
And it was love. It was like love at first sight. I just fell in love with her and she really connected to me. She said, it doesn't make any sense to me that you're not making money because I can hear how passionate and how passionate you are and, and how, how much potential you have. So I took a risk on her and she let me hire her. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, at what point in time did you really um, narrow your focus to work with millennials only? I was in the question for probably about two months. So I was mm -hmm. using some of the systems that she had and techniques in place to attract the right client. But it took me a couple of months. I was really thinking about who could I niche. So the, the riches are in the niches. I knew that. I had been in recruitment and sales before. And so I was thinking, okay, I need to make this specific. But there were a handful of people that I really loved working with that I wanted to make a difference with. But she did one exercise with me during our first weekend together. So she runs something called the Fem Mentorship. And we were all there processing through our own stuff as women business owners. And she said, okay, close your eyes. And she took me through this exercise and a vision, vision exercise. She says, you're in the front of the room and you're talking and there are people in front of you. What do they look like? And it was boom, young women. Okay. What are you talking about? money. And so my whole vision came alive in that moment. And I knew that I was destined to work with at that time. I mean, destiny is kind of an overused word. It might be a little far reaching, but I just knew that I could make an impact with younger women and inspire them. Yeah. Now for you, what is the age range for a millennial? The millennial. So technically millennials are born after 1984. Mm -hmm. So that would be, uh, twenties in their twenties, 84, 94, Early 30s, 30, 30s, early yeah. 30s. So um, women in their late 20s, early 30s are my demographic. I think everybody kind of says that they're a millennial if they're under 35. I don't really know what the next generation is called, but 25 to 35 for me is is that sweet spot. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, so so you really went on feelings. You didn't go on data. You, you really just felt like this was the the group that you wanted to help. That's who I wanted to make a difference with. Mm -hmm. I had been making a difference with them in a different capacity for years as a, as an advisor on a college campus. I knew what they were going through in that time of their life and what kind of support they needed. But really in financial advising, there was no data that supported that I would make any money working with millennials. It was a very risky thing to do. And you knew that going into it. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew because it. Because taking risks all over the place. All over the place. All right. So you decided to focus on millennials and you mm -hmm. just shared with us now that, you know, millennials and money, again, wasn't probably the best decision. Sure. Um, but you, again, you're going, you know, you're kind of going with your emotions. And why did you pick money? Is it because it, that's what uh, you were familiar working with? Why did you go that route? I believe this is just more of a personal belief of mine that when people's lives financially are in order, the rest of their life will begin to flow. And so I think relationships and money are those two things that help people thrive in life. When we have successful relationships and our lives are working financially, then we can continue to build on that and really have the life that we love. And so I think that for young people in particular, if they can get focused on making sure that their financial life and their connection and relationship with money is on on track, then they're empowered and inspired to make powerful decisions about the direction of their life. But how many people do you know, or I know whose lives are in financial breakdown and they're stuck. And I want to help people move from stuck to thriving. And I think that for me, money is like the most empowering, awesome conversation to have. And women, we don't talk about it enough. No, absolutely not. Yeah. I would say people in general, even yeah. in business, you know, unless you're having to look at the numbers, 
um, you're really not thinking about it or if you're responsible for a budget or whatever that is. Right. I, I equate it to actually more people would probably, you know, we say public speaking, it, people would rather die than speak in public. But I think that people would rather get naked in front of each other than talk about their net worth. Yeah. What about the <laughs> dentist? Where does that fit into I don't everything? know. <laughs> Maybe the dentist is right up there. Sure. Yeah. Money's a dirty word. Uh, what are some of the biggest issues or challenges that you're seeing with millennials when it comes to money? The, for the women that I work with specifically, it's their lack of confidence around money, where they never learned about money. If you don't take a personal finance class or you don't study business in college, where else do you learn about money if you're not if you're if you're not self-taught? And so I work with women who make great money. That's not the issue. They've learned how to become earners. More and more, we're going to see women who are doing that, who are earning six-figure incomes at a younger age too. But I think the problem is then they have families where most of us learn about money from our families. And not many parents sit down and actually teach their children about money. And money is complicated. It's not just a dollar for a dollar. It's not just how to balance your checkbook. Money, when you start making really good money and wanting to invest, it's a very deep conversation. And they're just confused. They're confused. There are too many experts out there. If they try to learn on their own, they're not really confident that they're learning the right information. And they don't have a trust of financial advisors, unfortunately. They feel like they're going to be sold, and they, they aren't empowered to make decisions about products or, or services because they don't know anything about it in the first place, so they're afraid they're going to get taken advantage of as well. Okay. So you're helping them um, with all facets facets of money, from savings to balancing their checkbook to yes. um, investing, you know, what, whatever it might look like for them. It's layer on layer upon layer. The first thing we do is I just, they, they have to look at their money regularly. They have to track their money. They have to know when it's coming in. They have to know when it's going out. Basic things that we would assume they know, they don't feel confident about. So we get them on, you know, I get them on a straight and narrow there. I don't give investment advice. I let my licenses go. But at a certain point, I work with them for six months. They sign on to work with me for six months. So by the end of it, they're in a pretty good place to start thinking about investing. Okay. But the first thing I teach them is how to hold on to their money, how to get out of debt, those things that are really going to create the financial stability and freedom, big, big picture. Do you really dive into their personal spending habits, their budget, what, everything. you know, where they, everything. So you're, yes. you really dig in and get personal. Yes. Yeah. I like it. Yes. I like it. Um, what's been your biggest success story so far as with one of your clients? I have so many. Do you? I do. I'm so inspired by my clients, but this one, uh, I have permission to share her story. So I will. Um, but she, uh, so one of the first videos that I created on Facebook over a year ago was, can I cuss on this show or should I? Go for it. I can. Okay. <laughs> so I was driving one day and I was like, oh my gosh, like they're just spending money on stupid shit is what it comes down to. So I made a video and I said, stop spending your money on stupid shit. You have needs in your life. You have wants in your life. You've got to get a handle on that. Well, I got a phone call from a client, Angie, who um, was like, that's me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm spending money on stupid shit. I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses. I'm not clear about the direction of where I'm headed. I spend hundreds of dollars in Target every month for no reason. She just didn't have clear direction about what she was doing with her money. And so um, we sat down and we sat down for the first hour. She decided to hire me. She joined the sister mentorship. And not only did she stop, stop spending money on stupid shit, but she's leveled up her, in her life so much. So she... Um, she is... She has money in savings, probably $5,000 in savings. She's out of debt. She's staying out of debt. 
She got a raise at work. She's clear on the focus and direction of her life. She's actually looking at going back in, going back to nursing school to open up a, a, a home for elderly. So not only did she stop spending money on stupid shit, she got clear and focused on the direction of her life. And she's really loving her life right now without all of the drama, the financial drama behind it. So that's just one of like many examples. Right. Um, but I have women that are paying off tens of thousands of dollars in debt others who are saving at an astronomical amount. I have one client who increased her earnings or her sales. So she's in sales. She increased her sales at work by $700,000 after getting clear about what she was doing with her money and the focus and direction of her life. Wow. So almost $2 million sales. So yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty incredible results. It's interesting how you just change your focus. So here from the story you just told, you know, you're somebody who's just trying to keep up. Yeah. They're just you know, doing it in a, not in a very practical way. Right. And wasting money. Right. And as soon as they rein that in, they're further ahead than they could ever imagine. Yeah. They're further ahead. They start advocating for themselves. I call it you university. A lot of times I said, this is you taking your life on. We're going to work on money. But what unfolds from that after they get clear about their money is the direction of their career, ending toxic relationships. They begin to transform their whole life. Yeah. Do you maintain a relationship with your clients after that six months? I do. Yeah. And um, when it comes to your clients, Mm -hmm. are you, is it one-on-one? Do you create group? You mentioned fem groups. Is that correct? I'm in the fem mentorship with my, with my coach. Got you. Okay. But I also, I run something called the sister mentorship, which is a six month mentorship. I only take 10 women into the program. It's highly selective because I want the right kind of woman in the program that they're all working together. They feel like they're with a like-minded group of women and they're creating financial results in that process. So do they get to know each other as well? They do. They spend okay. some time together. Individ- they do, they spend time together in a weekend. We do two weekends together. They have a WhatsApp, so they're constantly getting coaching and communicating together. They have buddies where they have weekly calls together, so there's a lot of interaction together. Okay, great. So they're really forming relationships as well. They are. In a support system. Mm-hmm. I'm a big advocate of that. Yes. <laughs> what do you do personally if you are coaching and mm-hmm. you're you're helping a group and you don't know the answer? Mm-hmm. What do you do? Fortunately, because I believe in the power of mentorship, I have the own, like I mentioned, my own mentorship that I can draw from. So these are other money coaches. These are other financial advisors, other experts. And of course, my coach, Robin, who is a money expert. So they're the first people that I go to. But also life, there are a lot of other things that happen. So we, we need lawyers. We need, um, we need financial advisors specifically for investments. So I have a trusted network of people that I've been building throughout the years in Las Vegas that I can call and, and, and get the help that I need for that client or refer them out responsibly. Okay. So you used to have a firm that really gave you that support and those services, and now you've essentially built out your own network of people that you reach out to and and draw support from. Yes. Specifically in the career area, I've partnered with a career coach where when the women sign on to the program, they have an opportunity to work with a career coach at no additional cost. And so they can get some clarity and focus around what direction they're headed. So I, I, I think that no matter what area of life someone's working on, having a trusted network to tap into is imperative. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. Now, you mentioned that you were fearful a year ago when Mm -hmm. you weren't making money. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm just going to call you out a little bit here. Go for it, yeah. 
it um, it sounds too good to be true uh-huh. that you were able to go from zero to six figures in such a, a short amount of time. Okay, is there one thing that you can uh, really share with us where where you can kind of make that a little believable, <laughs> you know? Because it really does. It sounds amazing. <laughs> How the heck did she do it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that the biggest the biggest thing I did one is I, I had to wake up every single day in action. And I had to be committed to creating a result no matter what. And so that meant operating out even when I was scared, I was still out there taking action. Um, a lot of people let fear stop them or let that be the excuse. But I knew what I needed to do. And even though I had conversations of unworthiness or whatever, I woke up and I said, I'm going to make this happen today. So my mindset made the biggest difference there. But I also set goals and I was a maniac on a mission to achieve those goals. I did not set out to make six figures. I had no idea it would be possible in 10 months. Mm -hmm. But what I did do is every month I had a goal. So let's say January, I remember specifically January, 2016, my, no, January 2017, my goal was to make $4,000 that month. And so all the action I took was to make $4,000 that month. And I made, I think, $6,000 that month. The next month, February, my goal was $6,000. I made $8,000. So I was just setting goals that I thought were achievable. And then I took the right action to make that happen. And I build, I built a program that's sustainable. And I, I was congruent with my pricing. I stuck to my pricing. I didn't undercharge for my services. Oh, that's a good thing to point out. Yes. So, so you would say no to people. I would say no to people. Um, I would also not negotiate my prices, which was really hard to do at first. But I said, no, I'm I'm worth this. I had to really take a look inward and say, I've got 20 years experience. I know that I can coach and mentor these women. And so I just I said, this is what it's worth. This is what I'm worth, and I went for it. Yeah. And what was your constant motivator? Because yeah. we do we do this all the time. We set goals, mm-hmm. things get hard, which is normal. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how did you wake up every morning and just keep going? Cause it's a short amount of time, but it's also 10 months is a long it's time a long too time. when you're in it. <laughs> and you know, how did you keep that going and to really build your business? My vision for my life and the world is really what drives me every day. So the money is great, but I can't. I can't be the leader that I am believed born to be, that I was put on this earth to be, if I can't figure out how to be successful financially. So people may disagree with me on that, and that's fine, but that's my vision for the world. your motivator personally. My motivator Mm -hmm. is to wake up every day, and I want to travel the world. For myself personally, I have a nine-year-old son. I want to show him the world. I want to be able to pay for that. I want to be able to pick up and go to Africa and make a difference for other women in the world there. But I can't do that without money. So for me, the biggest motivator is my vision in life that I want to be a leader in this world. And um, and I, I get to do that starting here in Las Vegas in the sister mentorship and transforming these women's lives. They are going out and they're transforming other people's lives. And so it's the greater vision that calls me forward every single day. Okay. So what you're sharing with your client, teaching your clients is what you personally practice. It is. And it'll be in my book. So my book's coming out December 7th. And that's exactly what I talk about. It's not just about making more money. It's about being really clear in your vision in life and your purpose in life and going after that. Lisa, a book. I have a book coming out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm shaking my head for those that can't see me right now. I think you're crazy and amazing all at the same time. Thanks. Um, I, I definitely want to hear about your book 
Now, question about um, your motivation. Mm -hmm. So your motivation a year ago, is it different now that you're you're, you're a year in? Um, well, I think originally, possibly, I, I would say yes. I was in scarcity. I was afraid of losing my house. I needed to pull my finances together fast, mm -hmm. and I needed to pull my household together fast. We, I was like down, going downhill financially fast. So originally, the motivator was like, how can I make money the fastest? But it was always centered on how can I help people. Okay. Right. Okay. Always like, okay, I want to help people. I want to use my talents to do that. But yes, how can I get money in door in the door? Today, my motivator is to, I believe I have a message worth sharing. And I know that I'm making a difference for the women that are in my, in my intimate circle of clients. But I also believe that what I teach could help transform people's lives, bigger picture. And so I think that writing a book will get my message out there. It'll get my brand out there. But people also may not hire me the first time they meet me. So if they read my book, they might be more likely to get the help that they need. Right. There's, there's that credibility factor. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. What's the name of your book? Girl, Get Your Shit Together. Excellent title. <laughs> Girl, Get Your Shit Together, hashtag adulting your way. Yeah, mm -hmm. which speaks to millennials. Yep. For sure. For sure. Uh, what made you come or what made you decide on that title? It was a struggle. I got a lot of feedback that it wasn't going to be a popular title. Um, I had a lot of fear around using the word shit. But what it comes down to is that's when, when I put testers out there, I have a book launch team. I've got a ton of people that are on my Facebook page and I started testing different titles. That was the one they said, yes. And the women now, when they see the cover, they go, oh my gosh, I need to get my shit together. It's just something that resonates, I think. And it's, uh, it's approachable and it's fun. And, um, and, and I think that it's gonna, it's gonna grab people's attention, which for me is most important. Yeah. And isn't that what you told yourself? Mm-hmm. Every day. I still do. Yeah. Like you <laughs> get your shit together. Yeah, you woke up one day. I was like, I've got to do something, mm -hmm. you know, which is just authentic. Yes. Is, is why I think that I like that yeah. title. Thanks. What made you decide to write a book? So the credibility aspect mm -hmm. and you felt like you had a story to share. Uh, yeah, I think it was more, it was more so the credibility and my capacity to reach a larger market mm -hmm. because knowing like having a book, people will be, uh, be more familiar with who I am and they'll get to know me in a different way. And, and yeah, I, I, li I like the story that I share about myself, but I also want to really celebrate my clients and I do that in the book. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what is it like to write a book? <clears throat> it's been so stretching. I, I like stretching myself. When I can I'm tell risking, <laughs> I believe I'm living. And that was a hard thing from, I'll come back around to your question, but that was a really hard thing for me to accept because I got a lot of resistance from people in my life who wanted me to play it safe or who them, themselves are playing it safe that don't get it. But um, writing a book I knew was going to stretch me. I'm not a great writer per se, but I'm a great speaker. And uh, I was very quiet and introverted growing up. So much so that my first job interview was to be an undergraduate recruiter, and they said they almost didn't hire me because they thought that I was going to be too soft-spoken, that I couldn't talk to a crowd. So that challenge for me was like, all right, game on. Let me figure this out. Let me take this on. But writing a book, same thing, scares the crap out of me. But it's also been exhilarating for me to find my voice and use my voice. And hearing other people respond to it has been really, really powerful for me to say, no, I matter. 
I matter and what I have to say matters. And, uh, and I think this book is a, is a great reflection of, of my journey. Yeah. And what's that process like? Every, for everybody is different. Mm -hmm. What I love about my coaches, I did hire a team to help me with this, mm -hmm. but I also know I don't get work done if I'm not under the gun. So if I don't have a deadline or a timeline, it just isn't going to get done. And so they put me on a very specific timeline. So I have not, I've had 90 days to write the book and most people would be like, holy crap, why mm -hmm. would you do that? But also people might say that they want to write a book and how many people actually follow through with it. Or they might work for two or three years on a book and not get, not make any progress on it or get frustrated, get stuck. I don't want to do that. I have a message. I'm clear on what I want to talk about. I'm clear on what I want to teach. I'm just going to go for it and dive in. And so the team has really supported me. The first part was getting clear about how do you know, what's the table of contents? What's the structure of the book? What's going to be in the book? And then I hired a writer to help me with more of the, the content and the meat. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in the last stages of editing, which is crazy. How fun. It's crazy. So do you get different versions of the book back or do you do it in sections? How, how are you approaching that? I attacked it all at once. Mm -hmm. So my writer and I, we, uh, we would do two or three chapters a week because I speak better than I write or faster. I think faster when I talk, uh, I, we, he and I would jump on a call. We'd record all of the content. I'd get it transcribed and then we'd organize it into the book. So most of it was spoken out loud. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hear that that happens a lot. And, I think so. um, you know, just thoughts to paper and then you, you clean everything up, right. You know, from there. And then you, you have a, like a book cover and all mm -hmm. of that. Did you test that as well? Uh, yes. And yes, I did. I did a contest on 99 designs. So Tim Ferriss talks about 99 designs all the time. I yeah. loved working with 99 designs. Did you do, have you worked with them? I have worked with them before. Yes. So easy. So easy. And affordable. Yes, it was. Mm -hmm. It was. And so I ran a contest through 99 designs, but honestly, the first cover I saw that came through was the one that I ultimately went with. Oh, wow. So yeah, 99 designs real quick. Mm -hmm. Basically you submit an idea and it, it, um, it goes out to a number of artists right. and then you get a, a large number of options back. So you yes. get different perspectives. So yes. that's the process you went through, through 99 designs. And then, um, ultimately you get to choose the book cover that you like the best. That's right. And the designer that I went with, I'm still working with. So we ended up in a, in a bigger, like a longer engagement. So it was nice that I got to test out other designers as well through the process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you admitted that you like to stretch yourself. I do. And you, you, prefer to work under deadline. I do. Under pressure. Yes. So how do you handle your life when things slow down or do they ever? It's a current challenge of mine, slowing down. I am, I, I get that what I've learned some, so here are some of the hard lessons of being a risky, stretchy kind of person mm -hmm. is I realize that other people don't run at that pace. And so the challenge for me has been in my own family and with my friends is keeping open communication. We were talking about communication before the podcast, I think, um, was that we have to be open in communication because I'm committed to being in relationship with them. They just don't run as fast and hard as I do. So I do have to stop very deliberately. I have to schedule it. Like if it's on my calendar and I stop and I have a weekend and it's just me and my son and I'm fully present, learning how to be present has been one of the most helpful things that I can do because I don't burn myself into the ground, which I have before in my life. And even in the last 10 months, you can imagine have been wild where I'll push so hard. Eventually there will be a breaking point somewhere in my life. Um, thankfully it hasn't been in my health, but in other places. So I'm learning the balance, knowing that 
that I push hard, how to schedule myself and schedule time with people so that they get to hear that they matter, that I'm not running over them, but I'm also pacing it. I think that's the biggest word is pace. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the the pace you're going at now, there's no way you're going to be able to maintain that. Right. You know, so it will slow down. It already has. Yeah. It already has. And I had this conversation with my coach just a couple of weeks ago. I said the same thing. I said, I need to work smarter, not harder. And I just started hiring people. So that's the other thing. I've outsourced things. I hired an assistant. I've hired a trainer, a personal trainer. I'm hiring people to clean my house. I'm getting people into my world that are going to support me so that I can slow down a little bit, but still create the results that I want to create in life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so you're thinking big picture that way. Yes. Yeah. And so where do you see yourself in in six months from now? Six months is what? Mm. Next summer. Next summer. Yep. June ish. Uh, well, I, I already feel like, so I know this book is launching and I know that already I've gotten a lot of attention from it. So there's going to be space for me to travel if I need to. Um, I see myself doing pretty much everything in, in a similar way. Like I don't see my financial, I'm sorry, my, my living situation changing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I do have a lot of travel plans. So my best friend's getting married in June. So in six months, I see more of this, but definitely more fun, more fun. I I don't take enough time to celebrate or to enjoy the fruits of my labor. And being in, in my first year of business, there have been so many unknowns. But next year, I think I know more what I'm doing mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and what works and what doesn't work. And so I see more fun built into the next six months. Yeah. And I see that you're already reaching out. You have a great you know, group of people that you can reach out to for questions and support, but mm-hmm. you're hiring people. Yes. You know, and this is a question that I know new business owners never think about. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, someone will ask it and it's, you know, what are you going to do when you're too busy? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you, there's a big gap right now. You're very busy. You're starting to hire people. You want to start to enjoy this and start mm-hmm. traveling and, and those big picture goals that you have set for yourself personally. Uh, how do you plan on getting to that, to that space? Uh, growing strategically, growing strategically. So not growing for the sake of growth. This is my, this is my shot to design an ideal life not just an ideal business. So my, my, my structure of my business right now is built very strategically to support the lifestyle that I want. So most of everything I'll be doing is online, which will allow me to stay home more in my pajamas and work if I want to. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm ever, I don't know if I'm as audacious enough as Tim Ferriss to say, I want the four hour work week, but I know that the more systems I have in place and more strategic I am in how I design my business, the more I'll feel like I can be present with my clients too, because they're making a huge investment to work with me. It's not fair to them if I'm over stressed and if I can't be present for them. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answer your question. Yeah, it does. And then, um, it's, you can probably also be flexible with your start and end times too, right? Because you have the six month program. Absolutely. So it doesn't mean you're ending one and then starting another one right away, right? No. And that was a huge lesson that I learned this year is that I had back-to-back programs. Literally September to October, I did not have one weekend off. And 
October 31st came and I was like, okay, that will never happen again. Mm -hmm. And so I sat down, I scheduled out the entire year for 2018 and I don't have any weekends back to back. I'm working one weekend a month. That's it. And I closed off all of the nights. So I realized that clients are going to get the best of me when I'm, when I'm the best of myself. And that required me to make some major shifts next year. Yeah. Great. So, so you're constantly getting that feedback and listening to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And as a risk taker, Mm-hmm. where you're comfortable being. Yeah. Uh, you also have to be comfortable in that failure. Yes. You know, so stuff is going to happen. Things aren't going to go perfectly. Right. Um, in those moments, what do you do personally? When they're not going well? When they're not going well. And we can use what you just described as an example. So, you know, you've ended a program, you're starting a new one right away. Immediately, you've discovered that this probably wasn't the best decision, (laughs) but you still are responsible to your clients. Exactly. How do you work through that? Uh, the, the biggest thing I've learned in not just this last year, but in my whole profession, my whole life is the art of renegotiation and the art of being honest and accepting responsibility. So there was, uh, there was only one commitment that I had made that I couldn't follow through with because it was the responsible thing for me to do. But it also, I, I always look at uh, what my priorities are. So I know my clients are the priority. I know my family is the priority. Anything other than that can be renegotiated. So if I have a client event, I will show up to that and I will do everything in my power to make it happen. It's kind of like a performer or an artist. The the show must go on. Mm -hmm. But with my family as well, I know my priorities are with my son and making sure I'm present and available to him. But I believe that everything else can be renegotiated. And that's for me been a beautiful thing to realize when I'm not perfect that I can back out, I can say no if I need to, and uh, and I got my priorities straight. Okay. How do you prioritize between your business and your family? Because it seems to me like you there's equal footing there. There is. The biggest thing is, uh, well, the, the lesson I learned is that, uh, that there are, there are life moments that will never, I'll never be able to have again. So for example, my son's playing soccer right now, and I know how much it means to me as much as it means to him to be at the soccer games. I missed a lot this fall and it hurt, it hurt. It, it made me sad. And I know it made him sad too. So I just made a commitment that I'm going to make it to his games. And I won't it, it, as much as possible. So next year, I'm only going to work one weekend at a time or in a month. So I may have to miss a game rather than four or five games. There are other things that are potentially less important. You know, not every, I think that we all have this conversation. Like I want to be present for everything, but that's probably not possible. So it's also having a conversation with him about what's important to him. Okay. And I do that with him. Like what's important to you that I'm there can, do I, is it okay if I miss a soccer practice? He's like, yeah, that's fine if you miss a soccer practice. But then there are those bigger thing in life, bigger things in life that are more important. So he's going to you and, you, and he's telling you what's important, what's not. You involve him in I that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's Same thing stuff. with other people. Right, in my life. right. Same friends, thing. My mm-hmm. friends know I'm busy, but I also know like, hey, if you need something, please text message me. Like I need to talk. I'll make time for you. But I, um, I do run fast and I run hard. And so it's just, the, the open communication helps things a lot. Yeah. I'm a, uh, I'm a burn a candle at two ends kind of person yes. too. <laughs> and um, I don't know if this is your challenge, but for me, I'll just get sick. Mm-hmm. My body says, eh, nope. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're not paying attention. Um, what, what happens to you if, if you're going too hard, too fast for a long period of time? It used to be that I got sick. I remember specifically three years ago, I got pneumonia because I was running too hard. Mm-hmm. I was really overwhelmed and I had, and I didn't just have one round of pneumonia. I had like two or three months worth of pneumonia because I had just run into a wall this year. I think I did a really good job of prioritizing my health. So that didn't happen again. Thankfully, I haven't gotten sick, but um, I will binge watch <laughs> Netflix it. for a day. Yeah. Or uh, I'm introverted by nature, so I need to make sure I have alone time. So I schedule every morning a long walk with my dog in nature to center and ground myself. So alone time is really important. When I do hit a wall, it's uh, it's it's lights out for a day. I just need a whole day to recover Mm -hmm. or get out in nature, take a hike, but it has to be alone. For me, that really works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now you prioritize the things in your life and now, you know, including your own personal time. Yes. Alone time. Yes. Do you use a tool or anything like that to, to schedule or to keep track of what's more important? What's more important, not per se, but I use my calendar religiously. So I, I use a online calendar and what I've realized is if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't get done. So I schedule everything. I, I, I did hire a trainer, Gomi, give myself a high five. All right. Um, I like did, a workout for working out and stuff. And she, yeah, she's new. Nutri- okay. She does my nutrition. Okay. And she makes, she keeps me accountable for working out. Okay. So she's scheduled. Personal time is scheduled. It might sound a little anal retentive, but because if it's not scheduled, it doesn't happen. You have to scheduled. You absolutely, especially yeah. as at least from my own personal experience and everybody I've talked to so far on the podcast. Yeah. If it doesn't get on that calendar, you're not going to do it. Mm-mm. So that's how I, that's how I maintain it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you differentiate yourself from, um, you know, people that you used to work with at your old firm, let's say. The, uh, well, I know that my history as a mentor coach advisor since the time I was in high school differentiates me. My mm-hmm. leadership experience differentiates me. I was freshman class president, sophomore class president, junior class president, student body president. I've had, I have years of leadership experience under my belt. I know how to help people meet their goals is really what it comes down to. But I also know how to not just in the financial advice world, give investment advice. I know how to help people center and focus on what's important to them in life and then set goals and achieve them there. And I don't think that that that's a skill set that you get by taking a series 65 license and having all this advice or all this, um, expertise, you know, it's per se. So I've got a ton of life experience that I bring to the table and, uh, and I, and I genuinely passionately care about these people. So I know that distinguishes me as a, as an, as a mentor. How do you communicate that to a potential client? That I care about them, care about them, that you have all this experience, that you know what you're talking about. I think while I do it through a very thorough sales process. And so I've, I've learned to love sales because if you have a sales process and you stick to it, it, I cover all of those things in my sales process with a client. So establishing credibility and rapport is step number one, that they have to know that I know what I'm talking about and that I'm trusted and that I care about them. And then I follow through throughout the sales process and helping them see the results that I create for clients. So I'm not just walking the 
um, not just what talking the talk, but I know how to get people like them, the results that they want in their life. So establishing credibility is throughout my, my process of, um, essentially selling a client, which I know people have their own connection to that word, but I absolutely love sales because it's really enrolling people into their own lives and helping them make an investment in themselves. Yeah. How do you get leads? All over the place. Like networking, talking to people. Yes. Yeah, so uh, you you and I know each other for being out in the community. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm very clear. My mentor taught me something called the audio logo. And so when people ask me, what do I do? I don't just say I'm a coach. I talk about who my ideal client is and how I help them. And so immediately they know what I'm up to. And so I say, typically my, you know, typically I work with millennial women who are challenged by making the right decisions with money. I help them get clear and focused in what they really want in their life and save and pay off debt in a, you know, in a very fast way. And so that's a lot easier than saying, oh, I'm a coach. So people know what I'm up to uh, online. I'm very active online. I have a great community online, so you can find me on Facebook. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I, I have people find me on LinkedIn all the time. My website works and, uh, and I do a lot of public speaking as well. Okay. And were you doing this a year ago? So this elevator pitch now that you have now, yes. and when you're going out and you're speaking with, with people, is that what you have been working on in the last year is really putting that together? The audio logo took me about two weeks to perfect. It wasn't perfect. I just delivered like a very unscripted audio logo. Mm -hmm. So I just, I more casually use it now, but that was the one thing that, that was, if anybody's listening to this and like, how can I go find my ideal client? That was the one thing that had clients calling me immediately. So I had, I had a warm market already. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't unsavvy to who was in my world and who I could help. I had people already coming to me for help with these kinds of things. So I just put two and two together in some ways. So my warm market and then using the audio logo out there cold has really helped. Yeah. And your audio logo is really just helping someone understand your story, Mm -hmm. helping them make that connection. Right. Very quickly. Yes. Yeah. And, um, your current client base, are they only millennials? No. That's the interesting <laughs> thing, and it's it's something that um, it's important to point out. The more specific you are, doesn't mean that that's all you're going to get. Yes, it's a lot of fear people have that that, that if they they don't cast a wide net, that they won't that they'll be limited. But people know not just who I help, but how I help them, and everybody has money challenges. So if that if they identify with the challenges, then they'll they'll pick up the phone and call as well. Because if I can help millennials, I can help anybody. Yeah. How do you stay educated uh, for what I do? For what you do. I read a lot. Uh, I follow other expert blogs. Um, for money, I, I I believe that what I teach is pretty basic, um, so I'm not always necessarily reading more money books. I don't want to confuse my message with other people's advice, but I know I know who's out there and what they're saying. Um, I stay educated by other blogs, by reading, and doing research. For my book right now is probably most of the yeah. Most you're of very the busy mm-hmm. with the. Do you have? Uh, time to listen to podcasts and read other books with everything that's going on in my free time, kind of <laughs> <laughs> free time, Sunday nights from 9 p.m. to 10 30 p.m. Kind right? of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss is really one of my favorites. I keep referring to him, but I really mm-hmm. like his mindset. Um, there's some, there's some shows that I watch that are pretty inspiring. Um, but yeah, there isn't, a, there isn't a lot of free time right now for enrichment, honestly. If I'm doing anything, it's developing workshops and bringing in research there so that I can make sure that I have the right 
content for the workshops that I'm doing. So if somebody goes through one of your workshops, um, is it the same Mm -mm. the next time it's always evolving? It's always evolving because my clients are evolving. I'm learning more as I grow too. I mean, I, I call myself a money expert, but there's always more to learn. I've been studying money for now five years and I'm always learning new concepts, new thoughts, new ways of being. And there are always different perspectives. Even though I work with millennial women, I know what their challenges are, but other demographics have other challenges needs. So yeah. Uh, Netflix, you like Netflix. What is your guilty pleasure? Well, I should have mentioned Hulu as well, but I'm right. (laughs) I I catch up on this as us as much as possible. That's my chicken soup for the soul. I've never watched that because I know I'll cry every time. (laughs) Yeah. It's the good cry though. It's kind of like the good, ugly cry that uh, I spend, we spend so much time in the doing in life. It's just an easy way to reconnect to what's important. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You're making me reflect now. Grey's Anatomy is another good one too. That's my favorite. That's my, and you can always favorite. go back and watch lots of Grey's Anatomy. Always. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite book. Oh, so many all time favorite is to kill a mockingbird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Maya Angelou, I know why a cage bird sings another Great one. Some good classics. This one is like, I think you read it in eighth grade, mm-hmm. but The Giver. So oh, more yeah. of the utopian society and all the dysfunction that comes with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so for To Kill a Mockingbird, what's your favorite message in that book? Mm. I haven't thought about that. That's a good question. What's my favorite message in that book? That no matter who you are, you're worthy of justice. You're worthy of somebody standing up for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you're motivating a lot of people every day. Mm-hmm. And you are spinning your wheels right now. Mm-hmm. Um, who or what motivates you to keep going now that you have built this? I mean, it seems like you're arriving. You mm-hmm. still have to get your book out. But, you know, you you have arrived and you're still, you know, arriving. Sure. Um, wh- who do you look up to? What really is going to help to continue to drive you? Well, my, my son's my biggest motivator because he's worth, he's worth it all. He's, he and his friends and the, the really, the young people in this world are brilliant. And if I can, well, I know, I know that I wake up every day wanting to be a better version of myself so that I can be more present for him. And then he can be a better version of himself. The other people that inspire me, I, I, I look up to so many people, but really I look up to my clients because I, I believe in sales or uh, in the world of coaching that we tend to attract people who are like us, that I want to help the women who were like me 10 years ago. Where would I be in my life if I had a mentor like me 10 years ago versus now? So I wake up every day for them. Like I just, I got, I just came here from a a meeting with a client and seeing what's possible for her, what I'm going to teach her, what she's going to create in her life as a result. I'm on fire for that to really help them level up in life. Right. And I'm sure you're always learning from them as well. I am. You know, absolutely. What's your biggest challenge? My biggest challenge is time management. It always has been, mm-hmm. always. So whenever I have the biggest struggles, it's because I'm not managing my time correctly. I don't like being late. 
I don't like being behind. And I think that that just speaks to my integrity of my, my word. And when my calendar's off and things fall through, it really bothers me. And so I know expanding my life, it's, it's expanded already so much in the last 12 months. I know that expanding next month and staying connected is going to be a real challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm a workhorse. I'll work all day long, but that doesn't work for relationships. Yeah, that is tough. <laughs> yeah. So how do you manage that? Which one? The relationship. So you, you have talked about your friends before and you have your family. Mm-hmm. Um, how are, and you have, you, you block time and that mm-hmm. intentional time. Is that what you do? You put it on your calendar and say, okay, yeah. I need to work on my relationships. My friends now are texting me, asking me for a date. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I have friend dates now. <laughs> That's good. And even, even if the, even if the answer has to be no, cause I do get a lot of people like, Hey, I want to see you. I want to see you. It's like, okay, I love you. And I value you. And I just always make sure that they know that they're loved and that they're heard. If they need something, they know how to get a hold of me. But then the next step is let's make sure we get it on the calendar so I can be present for you. Yeah. I'm not, I do not like having my cell phone out and being with people. And I'm not a great multitasker in that way. I think, especially like I'm that kind of person where I'll hang up the phone to check out at the grocery store. It's really important that whoever's in front of me is in front of me. And so um, that does make, things a lot longer. Someone might, I might have to wait six weeks or so to see a friend, but I'd rather when I do see them have my full attention on them. Okay. Now with your calendar, you use your calendar every day. Are there there any other tools or anything that you use on a daily basis? To stay organized? Mm -hmm. Or or whatever. whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, I have WhatsApp, so that's been a lifesaver. And that's a messaging app. It's a messaging app. So um, I would love for other organizations I'm involved in to use WhatsApp. I don't use email a whole lot anymore. I ask people to text me if they need something rather than send me an email because it takes me forever to get back to emails. But in terms of other tools, uh, I think you asked me this. We had lunch a couple of weeks ago and you're like, how do you stay organized? And I have notebooks and I just jot things down where I know it's there. <laughs> it's yeah. in one of my notebooks. I think in my backpack right now, I've got four notebooks. But that seems to be working for now. And then having an assistant is going to be a game changer for me because she's going to help me stay organized. But in terms of apps and stuff, I really actually, for money management too, I don't use a lot of apps. Okay. Brain overwhelm for me. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So you are you have notebooks. And what do you write mm-hmm. in your notebooks? Well, if we were having a meeting and not on a podcast right now, I'd be writing down words and notes from our conversation. So if I need to go back and make sure something gets done, if it doesn't get written down, I realize it doesn't get done. Mm -hmm. So if there's things about follow-up or things we need to do, I'll write it down. Um, Or I'll ask somebody to send me an email. Hey, can you remind me? You're you're really good at that. Can you remind me about that? If it's in my email, I can go back to it. So and you can reference it. I can reference it. And um, and I, I remember us talking about that. And you also said, you know, I may not remember what I wrote down, but mm-hmm. I'll remember that I wrote something down. Yeah. And so then I know I can go back and reference right. it later. Right. So I've got notebooks upon notebooks of thoughts and things. Yeah. All right. So you have an assistant now. So And you write things in a notebook. How um, do you plan on communicating with somebody who you're going to depend on to help run your business? Well, that's a great question, Cree. Start. I know, do you have talking, to start thinking about that? <laughs> <laughs> talking about tools, I actually use Trello. Okay. I really like Trello mm-hmm. because it's pretty malleable. You can write things in it. You can move things around. You can create checklists. So she and I are going to use Trello. Um, I also use Google Docs. So we have a lot of docs in Google Docs. 
Um, those are the two main ones, but I know Trello will help, will help us stay organized. Yeah. And Trello is a, one of many project yeah. management tools basically that are out there where right. you can, um, essentially use it as a virtual notebook. Right. And you can write and somebody else can access that information. Right. And HubSpot. So HubSpot's where is my CRM mm-hmm. and that's where we keep notes about clients. So you track all your sales mm-hmm. in, in HubSpot. Yeah. And client communication, those kinds of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's all really important because, you know, answering that question that we talked about earlier, what am I going to do when I get busy? Mm-hmm. You, know, you start out and you can write notebooks mm-hmm. and you can, you know, jot <laughs> things down in your calendar, you mm-hmm. know, but when you fast forward that, that changes real fast sometimes. Oh, so fast. Busy, busy is a lifestyle. I mean, I've always, I've always been busy. And so I've learned one, what my capacity is. Um, I'm a firm believer it's kind of off topic, but I'm going to share it anyway. I, sh- I shared this in college. This happened to me in college, and I think that there's a there's huge value in this is testing your limits and extending beyond your limits. Because one, you know what you're capable of, and then you know what you really want to handle versus what is on your plate. And so I I test my limits because it teaches me how to better manage myself, but it also teaches me, yeah, I can handle that, but I really don't want to anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, testing limits and risk and all of these words that you've talked about for, you know, this entire conversation, <laughs> yeah. um, does that come easily for you? How do you manage any fear that, that is associated with that, with the unknown? Uh, I love the unknown. Yeah. It's a big game to me and I know I'm not normal. <laughs> I know I've tested, I've taken personality tests and matrix and they all say that I'm off, I'm off the charts a little bit in some of that respect. My relationship with fears, I remember the other night, I realized that I'm stretching myself because I want to be, a, I want to be Oprah. I tell people I want to be five foot white girl, tall Oprah. Like <laughs> in order to do that, I have to test. I have to continue to stretch because I can't, be the same person today that it's going to take to have a $10 million empire or whatever that is someday. But I do lay in bed at night. I have some bedtime routines and rituals that help me stay grounded. And I sleep the same. I sleep from 9 PM to four or 5 AM every day, which helps me stay grounded. I have a schedule for the most part, but I, I, I experienced myself a couple of nights ago in my bed shaking because I was so stretched outside of my comfort zone. And I was like, oh man, like this is scary. This is really And you're scary. not used to that. You're used to being able to handle it. No, I'm I'm Correct. used to no, I'm not used to being able to handle it. I just know that um my comfort if I am handling it and life is going well, it means I'm in my comfort zone. That doesn't work for me. But the stretchiness, the the physical sensation of being stretched, that what I use, the method that I use is that it's all gonna be okay. I have a close relationship with God and the universe and I open myself to receive from there. And it's like, it's going to be okay. I've got this. If I don't have it, God's got it. So that's Mm -hmm. something that really helps me too. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And then when you are feeling that way also, um, you know, the people around you may not understand. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you've talked about that a little bit and, uh, you know, do you lose connection that way or what do you do to maintain that relationship or help people understand why you're comfortable in what is perceived as such an uncomfortable space? Yeah, it's 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 a sense of ownership and responsibility for being true to who I am. And then it's an enrollment conversation for those who are going to choose to be in my life. A great example of this is with my parents. They don't get it. They haven't. And they have their own philosophy about life. 
And we have spent years up until a couple of years ago fighting about it. I'm not understanding them, not supporting. And I had to just have an honest, very difficult conversation with my father in particular and say, dad, you've got to trust me. I'm a, I'm an educated woman. I'm, I'm successful. Trust me, like stop hounding me, stop hating on me per se. Like I need your support. That's, but my non-negotiables in relationship are either you're going to support me or you're not. And I'm going to do everything I can do as an individual to support you and love you and be a friend. But bottom line, I need your support to do this. And if you can't be supportive, then I can't have you in my life. So you have to actively have that conversation. Actively. At the front end, the best. I mean, I have relationships I've had for 10, 20 years who have taken some renegotiation as well as I continue to stretch and move in a new direction. One of my best friends and I, we just had to renegotiate things like, hey, this is who I'm going to be and this is who I need you to be for me. But it is the open, honest, vulnerable conversation that people avoid. And even, even with my ex-husband, I mean, I'm in the process of getting a divorce right now and it just came down to, we can't be together. We can't be supportive for one another, one another in this way anymore. And we need to renegotiate the relationship in order for us to be better parents and be happier, uh, happier in life. So, uh, communication, I got my degree in communication. I can't speak more highly about that or the importance of having vulnerable conversations responsible, vulnerable conversations. Right. What's your definition of leadership? Hmm. Leadership to me, that it's not a position. It's not having a title. There are leaders all over this planet who do not have quote unquote power, but leadership to me is someone who wakes up in ownership, fully aligned with what's important to them in their lives. And they act responsibly in that way. And so I believe each and every one of us has the capacity to be a leader in our own life. And it's, it's someone who wakes up and knows what the right thing to do is, and then goes out and does the right thing, despite societal pressure, despite the pressure of others, um, despite fear, you know, they wake up and they do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. I think that's a leader. Okay. And how does that tie into, um, your business and what you're doing to help others? Well, I'm stepping out to be a leader and challenging myself and being very vulnerable about my journey with others because I think that inspires other people to act and take on their own lives. I also know that the women that are in my world are becoming leaders in their own worlds. And it's requiring them to do the same thing, to get grounded in what's important to them in their lives and then take aligned action. And that means that they put themselves, number one, not in an egotistical way, but because they matter, they stand up, they become leaders in their own lives, and then they're helping other people in their life, their own lives do the same. So I think it's Maya Angelou. I think it's Maya Angelou that says this, that when when you stand up, no, it's um, Marianne Williamson that when we stand up and we're our greatest selves, we give others permission to do the same. I think that's Marianne Williamson, but we're giving others permission to be amazing too by taking that on ourselves. I like it. <laughs> if you could give one piece of advice to listeners about their money, what would it be? Money is not emotional. We make money emotional. Money are, is just numbers. They're, it's completely rational and completely logical. And we're the ones that put all of the energy 
onto it, what it means, how it feels, what our lives and meanings are attached to it. So the best piece of advice I can give about money is learn how to detach the emotion from the money. It's not the money's fault. Whatever decisions you're making, it's not the money's fault. It's all on you. So you have to accept full responsibility for where you're at in your life and learn how to separate the emotion from the financial decisions that you're making. Excellent. Mm -hmm. So when's your book coming out? December 7th. So excited for you. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. And thank you so much for coming in today. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. Good. Thanks. Mm -hmm. To learn about Lisa's sister mentorship program, visit lisachastain.com. You can also find daily motivational tips and updates on what Lisa's up to by following her on Facebook or LinkedIn. Thanks as always for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, visit the Leadership Looks Like Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. Leadership Looks Like is a podcast dedicated to leaders everywhere. Our mission is to show that leaders come from all different backgrounds, ages, colors, shapes, and sizes. For more information about our project or to become a contributor, visit leadershiplookslike.org. Sign up for Fresh Start Mondays and get access to free leadership tips delivered to your inbox every Monday. To subscribe, visit leadershipexcursion.co forward slash subscribe. And finally, The Coop, Las Vegas' newest co-working location with a focus on community and collaboration. If you're a small business owner looking for office space and amenities and would like to be located in Summerlin, visit thecoopcowork.com. Until next time, continue to inspire and support one another through effective leadership. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. See you again next week.